Let us pray. Oh God, remind us again of the great abundance that is your presence and is your love. And may we embrace that and share that love. Amen. I've always enjoyed this story today, this story of Jesus turning the water into wine. One of the things um, I enjoy about it is watching people who are so firmly against the, the consumption of alcohol explain this one away. We call this story, the, the turning of the water into wine, a miracle story, but that's not how John calls it. John says this is the first of Jesus' signs, a sign that reveals his glory. This story is a sign, a signal, a sign, a signal. In other words, this story of the water into wine isn't as much about the water into wine as it points towards something else. It is a sign towards something else. How might this story be pointing us towards something else, towards something that reveals who God is? Hopefully it's not working. <clears throat> this is the first of Jesus' sign in John's gospel. There's seven of them. And in, of those, there's, there's a couple of them that Jesus heals somebody. There's another one when Jesus is walking on the water. That's a sign. Another one um, oh, when he feeds the 5,000. Another one is when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now those signs, I can kind of get how they point out who Jesus is and reveals who Jesus is. But how about this story of water to wine? Besides that maybe Jesus would have been good to have at a party. Thank you, somebody. I think one thing we learn about this story is that God... And the person of Jesus is a God of abundance, of overwhelming abundance. I did some math here, which is generally scary. There's six water jars that are mentioned. It says that each one of them holds 20 or 30 gallons, and that would be a total of 120 to 180 gallons. And then I looked up how many um, bottles of wine would be in a gallon Long story short, Jesus turns this regular old water into something like 600 to 900 bottles of wine. And let's not forget, this isn't the bottom shelf wine, the kind with the screw off top, the kind in the box. This is good wine. This is the kind of wine that you would use to impress people. Well, now let's step away for a moment from this story. And just imagine with me a party, a celebration with 600 to 900 bottles of very good wine. In that day, the only place where you could have a, a celebration like that would be among the important people. As I've shared before, in that culture, it was a very hierarchical structure. You had those a few on top, a few below them, a few below them. And then at the bottom was the huge majority of people who were very, very poor. For a party to have 600 to 900 bottles of really good wine, it had to have taken place among just the very top people. And of course, if somebody in the very top was hosting this party, they would only want to have people who were also on the very top. So in other words, normally a party like this would just be for the elites. But 
in reading this story, this story of abundance takes place far removed from those places of importance and power. Here's what I mean. The city itself. It's Cana of Galilee. Galilee is like the province. The very bottom, in what is known as Israel, the very bottom was Judea. The one right above it is Samaria. And then right above that is Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is. Imagine that. And there were some well-known cities in Galilee. Capernaum was one. It was a very, um, very important fishing village. Another city that actually was not built up until right around the time of Jesus was another place called Tiberias. It was named after Emperor Tiberius. It was a very strong Roman fortress place. The military was there. Of course, we know the city of, of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Now, Cana. I looked it up, and people can't really say for sure where it was. There are five different possible locations. Five different places have said, oh, we're the real Cana of Galilee. To me, that says, that place must have been pretty small and very unimportant when they can't even tell where in the world it was. An insignificant and small place. And then the, the wedding itself. We don't know who got married. We don't know who hosted it. All we know is that Mary was there, that Jesus and his disciples were there. It must have been a pretty big celebration, especially in a place that was most likely a very small town like Cana. But the wine has run out. Certainly this would bring embarrassment to everyone involved in hosting this party. I read this too, and I was reading up for this sermon. In places where the folks were poor, which was most everywhere in those days, for a big occasion like a wedding to take place, the people in the community would chip in, kind of like a potluck. Everybody would contribute something to help out because obviously the, the people would be poor hosting the party. So in other words, this was an opportunity for everybody to help out. So when the wine runs out, it's not just embarrassment for this married couple and the host. It really would have been embarrassment for the whole community. Being reminded once again that they don't have enough. That they are poor. They don't matter. And yet it's in this setting, this very ordinary setting, among people whose names we don't even have in a, in a town that we can't even find, this is where Jesus performs his first miracle, the first of his signs which reveals his glory. And he does it among those who barely have enough to eat and drink, even on a day, any day. Yet Jesus provides abundantly. And he provides what is very, very good. And notice this too. The only people who knew that Jesus did this were the servants, the slaves. That's who experiences firsthand Jesus' glory. This morning we read a story of abundance, of joy, among people who mostly have very little of that in their lives. And yet for us who live in this day and this time, 
We don't have to look very far into the ordinary of life to see the very opposite of great abundance. Rather than having more than enough, we very often see that there's not enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough good health. There's not enough people who care. There's not enough time. There's not enough friends. The list of not enoughs, we could make a big one. And frankly, I don't see Jesus coming around and turning the water into wine. I'd like to offer up a couple thoughts on this. On the reality that very often we see that there is not enough. Last time we were together in worship, after the snow of 2019, the first snow, it was the story of Jesus' baptism. When I went around and reminded us of what we all know, that we are a child of God, loved by God, blessed by God, and called by God to do God's thing. It's an echo of God's voice. What God said to Jesus at Jesus' baptism and what God says to us. Here's why I mention that. Perhaps one way that we might do God's thing as we're being called to do is to step into those places in life where there's not enough. So that we might be the one who provides what is enough. That God might use us to be God's great abundance. Here's an example. That same Sunday where we talked about our baptism, we had a really good lunch. And then we had a church-wide discussion and the stuff is printed out there. We talked about our future. Of the many suggestions that were shared, some of them focused on our need to remember folks who might be forgotten. They might be people within our congregation or outside our congregation. The notion being that there's not enough care, there's not enough attention being given to these folks. Checking in on our homebound members and friends was one example. Our opportunities with children was another one. There was also mention about our church becoming an open and an affirming congregation. And by that I mean that we make explicit in our words and actions that everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, is welcome into the life and ministry and leadership of our church. Some folks said that. We do not do enough for groups like these. That's what we kind of surmised what I heard at that meeting. Perhaps God's thing for you, you, not me, not the elders, not the people who come up here, not the deacons, not other body, any other body, but you, perhaps you, God's thing for you is to seek out some place where there is not enough and be God's abundance. I got to admit, there are times when we consider how there's not enough and we don't know what in the world to do. Frankly, sometimes I think that we as the church, I mean this church, I also mean the church in general, we don't know what in the world to do. We look around and we see how things aren't like they used to be. We look around and see how things aren't like we want them to be. We're very quick on blaming others for it. Usually we like to throw the young people under the bus and say they don't do enough and they need to step up and they need to do this and they need to do that. 
Well, I'd suggest that Mary might have something to, to say to us in this. Mary's the one that pointed out, it, wasn't, it was Mary, it wasn't Jesus, it wasn't the disciples, it wasn't anybody, it was Mary that noticed that the wine was gone. The wine is run out. There's not enough. She says that to Jesus. And then Jesus, he really wasn't all that nice talking back to his mom like he did. Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I'm going to pass along or pass by the notion that Jesus was really ugly here to just say that it seemed like Jesus is reluctant to jump in to do something about that. But it's almost like his mother doesn't even hear him because his mother knows who to turn to when there's not enough. Because all she does is turn to the service and say, do whatever he tells you. Because even if Jesus is reluctant, his mama knows who to turn to to make enough when there's not enough. She knew where to turn to. That church discussion a couple weeks ago, there was talk about some things we need to do because there's not enough. We need to pray. We need to be open to God's Spirit. We need to be open to more diversity in our worship. There was talk that we even need to spend more time together. I agree with all this. I think the best way we might consider on what we might need to do is just do like what Mary did and just point out there's not enough and then trust God to show us how it will go. Knowing that God knows what to do even when we don't. One thing I do know, and I hope this last part will make sense, the very start of this story, it said that John says that on the third day there was a wedding. On the third day. Now, this was the very beginning of John chapter 2. In John chapter 1, if you read it, stuff happens and then it says the next day. And then there's a story and then it gets to the next day. And then there's a story and then there's another the next day. And then there's a story and then we get to chapter 2 and it says on the third day. Now chronologically that doesn't make any sense, does it? But I don't think John was speaking chronologically here. I think when, G, when John said the third day, he was speaking of resurrection day. The third day is the reminder that there is nothing that God can't do. God can take what is dead and raise it to life. God can take what is not enough and make it to be more than enough. In other words, I don't know what we might do as church. And I don't know how God is calling us to be church. But I trust that God knows because of the third day. I've lifted up a couple things this morning. I don't want to sit down a minute and have you consider a couple things. One thing I talked about is how we might be the abundance that comes from God. The other is how we might just say, well, we don't know. And to turn to God because we know that God knows. I'm going to sit down and let you consider a couple questions. How might you provide abundance? Your money, your presence, your time, your... in a setting where there is not enough. The other question is, in what way might you need to trust God? Because there isn't enough.
Now let us stand and sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs> 